Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. My name is Dick Drobnik, and I'm the director of the mid-career one-year MBA program at USC. I'm fortunate to have Wendy Cutler with us this afternoon. Uh, This is on the sidelines of the Asia-Pacific Business Outlook Conference. Uh, Wendy, welcome to the iBear podcast series. Thank you. Tell us, we we know your storied career as a diplomat, as a negotiator, as the chief negotiator on the U.S.-Korea Free Trade Agreement and the lead negotiator on TPP. Okay, let's move on to China. Uh, The president has... uh, uh, declared some things about China and, and has declared that we will uh, impose tariffs on, well, originally all steel imports and all aluminum imports, and, and now he is basically it's focusing on China. And the Chinese have said, we're going to put tariffs on your products, and put tariffs on our products. Do you see this as simply a, a uh, negotiating tactic, or do you see it as one that will get out of hand and the tariffs actually get enacted? I think it's some of both. I think the administration is very concerned about where we are with China, particularly with respect to Chinese plans to promote the development of certain advanced technologies in some key sectors, and they're pouring a lot of money into these sectors under its Made in China 2025 plan. And the administration recognizes that this type of relationship can continue. This is not in our long-term interest, and so they they wanted to shake things up. And frankly, the U.S. business community, I think, also is coming to the same conclusion as well as Congress. So the administration, with respect to China trade, I think has received a lot of support for identifying the problem and trying to deal with it head-on. but by choosing to, to impose tariffs on Chinese imports, um, they are choosing a, an approach which is putting our trading partners in an uncomfortable position because raising tariffs violates our WTO obligations. And countries do not like to see countries like the United States so flagrantly disregarding those obligations. And I think part of it, some of our trading partners feel that, well, it's China today, but maybe tomorrow the president will impose tariff increases on us as well, throwing out the whole multilateral um, trading system. I was had lunch with a Chinese diplomat about 10 days ago, and it was after the steel and aluminum things were uh, announced. And I asked him what, what he thought about this situation. And he gave me a 20-word response, three bullet points. China does not seek a trade war. China is not afraid of a trade war. China will not be bullied. Do you think he's willing, or the Chinese government is willing, or President Xi is willing, to impose counter-tariffs on U.S. products as they said they would do? Oh, I, I think I think they will. If indeed the U.S. goes ahead and imposes tariffs, none of us should be surprised that China will quickly put the the tariff increases that they've announced into effect. And then the question is, will our president respond with further tariffs escalating 
perhaps um, the the situation into into a full scale trade war. This is in nobody's interest. It's not in the U.S. interest. It's not in China's interest. Neither side wins. What the hope is that there is a window of time, and the way I calculate the days, at least maybe up to two months before the U.S. would actually put tariffs into place, given the public comment period and other procedural requirements. And I would hope that window is used by both sides to get to the negotiating table and to try and reach an accommodation. It won't be easy, but it's in both sides' interests. Well, if that is not done, it seems to me the Republicans will lose heavily in the October elections. To the extent I understand this, the Chinese have identified products that they're going to put tariffs on, like Central Valley, California, uh, pistachios and wine, soybeans for Iowa and Nebraska, and Harley-Davidson's for Wisconsin, and Kentucky whiskey for uh, Mitch McConnell. It seems like they've chosen very politically astute uh, items. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, and they're not the first trading partner to do so. If you look at retaliation lists from other countries in the past, a number of these products keep resurfacing. I think that, once again, it's in both... I think they, one of the reasons they went forward with that list was not just to match the level of U.S. retaliation or U.S. action, but was also to, to kind of stir the pot and get some of our stakeholders and congressional people to vocally pressure the administration um, not to go down this route. But the administration's response is, well, you're taking a short-term view. This is a long-term problem. We need to get our hands around it now or it will be too late. And the administration is also talking about, for example, helping our farmers through domestic programs that could help them get, you know, get through this, this period. In addition, that's how TPP apparently came up again, in that if the president can offer the ag community the prospect of getting back in the TPP and gaining access to markets like Japan and other markets, then that can help dull the concern of stakeholders with respect to access that they might lose in China. Well, as you know, I'm an economist, and uh, I've thought quite a bit about trade issues over, over my career. And imposing tariffs is not going to get rid of our trade deficit. Our, our trade deficit is caused primarily by savings investment issues, and the American public gets to consume much more than it produces in, in, in total. Do you think the administration understands that the tariffs are not going to in any sense fix the trade deficit, which they're talking about all the time? Well, remember, the tariffs are not the solution to the problem. They are kind of a, a fallout of the problem because it's a way to get China's attention and to show China it's not going to be business as usual if you keep up with your unfair trading practices. Um, the administration has apparently asked China to come up with a list of products um, or, or a list of imports that they will accept to bring the trade deficit down. And perhaps in some type of um, grand bargain with the Chinese, that will be one part of the solution. Well, if our real goal is to slow down the, the China 2025 activities, and trade ta uh, tariffs are a blunt instrument tool to do that, number one, I think it's it's absolutely stupid because China's going to implement 2025 come hell or high water. 
And if we're really worried about 2025, we should be putting more money in the National Science Foundation and in DARPA and other things and more money to the research universities and more money to the corporations to incentivize them to do this, not tell the opposing team, hey, you can't practice till midnight because we want to go home and go to sleep at 7 o'clock. What do you think about this? I think that's a great analogy, and I, I couldn't agree with you more that part of the solution to this problem, it's not just what we do with China on trade, but it's really building up our R&D capabilities here so we remain competitive and we remain on the forefront of these advanced technologies. It's the same thing overall with trade as well. There are those that are left behind by trade and trade agreements and by globalization. And people put too much pressure on trade agreements to somehow take care of everyone. In reality, we need domestic programs that would help um, get our workers trained for the jobs of the future and provide a social safety net for those workers who are displaced and frankly are not going to be entering the jobs of the future. That's what we should be doing. It's got to be a package if we want to rebuild support for trade and trade agreements. You use the term safety net, and economists always use that term, and I've used it. But uh, the other night, uh, USC professor Carl Voigt had a new term, and a better term, I think. And it's a result of the research that his students do for the uh, ABAC CEOs. And they've come up with the term springboard. In other words, not the idea that we're going to have a net and, and save people from falling, but we're going to put together programs that are going to really advance the kind of training that's needed and springboard them back in, into the economy. Do you like that term? I think that's a great term. However, I think we also need to be realistic that there's certain, there's certain people who... That cannot spring back. Exactly. And so there, I think we just need to do a better job looking after them and taking care of them and not just the federal government, but local governments and also the companies where they've worked for all these years. Um, we don't do a good job in America taking care of those left behind, and I think that's, that's put enormous pressure on our trade agreements, which are being blamed um, for um, a lot of economic woes, which they're not equipped and were never designed to address. Now, moving to the well, the, the, the present, the near present, we had long discussions about TPP. Do you think that if, if President Trump really wants to get the U.S. engaged again in TPP, will the TPP 11, or as Mr. Abe says, Oceans 11, will they really welcome them, welcome the Americans back, and, and will they agree to Mr. Trump's uh, request or demand, I guess, that they make substantial changes in the agreement? Well, I think at one level they'll be very welcoming. I think that since you, that the U.S. was part of TPP, they recognize the importance of having the U.S. as part of the group. And economically, let's recall, when the U.S. was part of TPP-12, that represented 40 percent of the, of the world's GDP. Without the U.S., that number went down to the low 20s. So yes, I think they want us back. But the question is, at what price? And there, I do have some concerns, because I think if the United States comes in with, with, a, a, with a number of demands in areas where countries just don't have the wherewithal to move, that can become a very difficult process. So I would hope that if the US wants to return, and they have an idea of what they want, 
before they put those those um, proposals in writing that they would informally consult with different TPP partners, particularly Japan, float some of these ideas and see if they can do some quiet behind the scenes work um, to ensure that when the actual negotiation begins that it can go smoothly and quickly. Do you think the Japanese negotiator is looking forward to do a third round of negotiations on TPP? I think all of the TPP negotiators have negotiating fatigue. I mean, let's remember um, the U.S. entered the negotiations after they were underway for several years among a smaller group of countries, the P4. When the U.S. entered, that added another five years into uh, onto the negotiations. Then the U.S. left. There was one year of negotiations. And so I think the prospect of getting going back to the negotiating table and being asked to do more with respect to TPP, it could be a bridge too far for certain countries. And that's why I think it's so important for the U.S. to think long and hard of what it would absolutely need to be part of TPP. But since President Trump declared that TPP was a rape of the United States, doesn't he have to politically be able to say, if we're going back in, that we're going to do something to fix the rate? Well, I think he's going to have to show that certain improvements were made. But I think we can look at what he did on Chorus, the U.S.-Korea free trade agreement. He said the same thing. Chorus was the worst agreement ever. And when the results of this negotiation become public, people will see that, in fact, he just made a number of improvements. They're solid improvements. But um, he did not ask for a major rehaul of the agreement. And so I would hope that with respect to TPP, he would follow in his team a more kind of measured approach and just focus on the stuff that they absolutely would need um, in order to bring the deal home and get congressional approval. So one of the, quote, improvements in, in chorus was that the, uh, the U.S. would reduce tariffs on Korean trucks coming into the United States. But my understanding is that there are no Korean trucks being exported to the United States. Well, that's correct. But on the other hand, one of the reasons you want to make the staging as long as possible is that the Korean car companies don't start thinking about making trucks because let's keep in mind truck production is really the cash cow for the big three in the United States um, and they don't want competition and so by keeping that tariff on um, for 30 years the message is don't even think about making trucks. Um, we achieved the same staging, tariff staging, with respect to Japan in TPP-12, and that was the same thing that Japan, with respect to imports of Japanese trucks, um, the tariff would not be eliminated until year 30 of the agreement. It, and what's the level of that tariff? On it's 25%, so it's one of our highest tariff peaks in our whole schedule. Another person we interviewed last year was Bob Blake, whose last position was ambassador to Indonesia. And he was worried about, in today's environment, will sharp, bright young people be seeking government service as much as before? What, what do you think? Well, like him, I am concerned because we're going through a period where um, government workers are not respected and in many respects are not being looked to um, and their voices aren't being heard. I think that's apparent in certain agencies in particular, like the State Department. But when I'm asked by young people, you know, should I join the government? Is this a good time to? My response always is, 
a resounding yes that government service and public service is extremely important that when you enter at a young age you're not going to really be affected by many of the decisions that are made at very senior levels and you get to work on issues where at your level you will have impact and then hopefully over time things will change and government workers will be once again respected and their voices will be heard. Well Wendy this has been a terrific conversation and uh, putting on my other hat as in addition to my USC hat as a trustee of the Asia Society let me say how proud I am of you as a vice president of the Asia Society Policy Institute. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Well thank you so much. Business Class, expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite. <laughs>